Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Here we are, Balance Week 4. We're at the end of this series, the end of our month of Sabbath. As I was just telling you, the first week I spoke about the breath of life. And I told you without the breath of life, Adam was a lifeless clump of dirt. But when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he became alive. And as long as Adam stayed connected to God, he had breath. I told you that humanity has consistently run out of breath because we have consistently ignored our need to reconnect with God through Sabbath. He calls us to a weekly Sabbath, once a week. Um, Psalm 46 and 10, such such a powerful small verse, but it says, Be still and know that I am God. And I told you that it's in that stillness that we find God. When we stop just to take a breath, it's in that breath of life that you will find God. Sabbath gives us the spiritual resuscitation that we need. And then the week uh, after that, second week, we got to learn to live for the here and now and stop worrying about the then and there so much. I told you that our priorities need to be balanced because your, pri- your priorities in life are what you invest in the most. You can say that your faith, you can say that your spouse or that your kids, you can say those things are the most important things in your life, but your time, talent, your treasure may say otherwise because wherever you invest your time, talent, your treasure, that's what your priorities are. Proverbs 11 and 1 warns us that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. And in Mark chapter 1, we read where Jesus was experiencing a very busy Sabbath. Uh, He was doing good on this particular Sabbath, doing some great ministry. From all appearances, it seemed like he was fulfilling what God wanted him to do. But Jesus showed us by example to get away from the crowd and get life back into balance. And, And even though there were people counting on him, there's people counting on you. Jesus had people counting on him, but he recognized the importance of disconnecting and and then reconnecting with the Father with no distractions. And I told you that when determining your priorities, look to God, not to others. God's priorities for you and and people's expectations for you will seldom go hand in hand. They just don't work together often. And then last week, we looked at the need for balance in our budgets. And and that is a very spiritual issue. Um, I told you that we need to learn to live within our means and that it would do some of us some good to take a spending sabbatical, just to stop spending. Um, We looked at Leviticus Leviticus chapter 25, where God told the Israelites to give their land a rest every seven years. Don't plant. Don't, don't cultivate that land. Don't, don't bring forth new crops on that land every, sev- every seventh year. And the land was basically their bank account. And whatever produce they had, that was what they ate. And that is also what they spent through trading. And so God made a promise to them that he would bless the land so much in the sixth year that the residual blessing would follow for the next two years. And as long as they followed this plan, they were blessed. But somewhere along the way, the Israelites stopped trusting God and they stopped trusting the land Sabbath. And and God allowed them to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians for seven years, which ironically enough is the same number of land Sabbaths that they neglected. Seventy different land Sabbaths that they neglected and God allowed them to go into captivity for 70 years. I told you, your fields need a rest. Your budget needs a rest. Give your finances a break and get out of financial captivity. 
Because God wants to do things through your finances that you are not capable of doing right now because you have absolutely strained your finances. He wants to bless you, but you've got to give him something to bless. And so here we are, the last sermon of this series. A few years ago, we planned a church canoe trip down the Santa Fe River. And I'll never forget this day because it was not an ideal day. It was not ideal for canoeing at all. It, 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 was, uh, it was cold. It was windy. The river was low. It, it, it was just not a good day. And only a handful of us showed up. There were only, I think, I think four canoes maybe that, that even uh, put into the water on this day. And my son Caleb was in my canoe with me. Now Caleb was much smaller than he is now because he was only around 10 years old. And so when Caleb got into the canoe, we put him in the front of the canoe, and I was sitting in the back of the canoe, and this caused our canoe to float like we were doing a nautical willy, <laughs> if you can imagine. You don't have to laugh that much, I know, okay? I know that there was a weight issue. We were not balanced in the boat, you know? And so it caused our canoe to kind of stick out of the water a little bit like that. And, and it didn't take us long to realize that this was going to be a very long day. Because as we were canoeing down the river with the nose sticking up out of the water, the wind was blowing upstream. We're going downstream. And the wind is blowing upstream. And it was literally pushing our canoe back up the river because of the front nose sticking up out of the water and the way the wind was blowing and catching it. And we were paddling just as hard as we possibly could, but the wind was catching the front and, and, and it, was, it was causing us to go from one side of the river to the other. We were just zigzagging our way and for every 10 feet that we would make it up river, the wind would blow us back another five feet. And I'm not exaggerating. This was one of the most frustrating days in my life. And to make matters worse, I, I would look downstream and pass Mr. Andrew and Patrick Langford, they were, they were, they were leaving us, uh, but they were two grown men balancing their boat. And even though it was tough on them, they were gaining ground. They were going downstream. And so I had, you know, me and, and this kid that weighs less than my right leg, you know, and, 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 and it was just tough. And I'm yelling at my son. I'm saying, get your paddle in the water. And he says, I can't, I can't reach the water. You weigh too much. And, and I'm like, shut your mouth, kid, or I'm going to throw you in and your mama will never see you again. And then I realized, I've got to have this kid or we won't make it. And so then I would start sweet-talking him, trying to encourage him a little bit. And I, I would say things like, hey, you know, son, you're doing a great job. You know, you're really doing better this half hour than you were the last half hour. Son, you're doing, you're doing great. And, 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 and five minutes later, I would, I would just get frustrated again. I would be like, Paddle, son, paddle. You got to get your paddle in the water. I can't reach it. And again, I would say, shut up. Or I'm going to throw you to the piranhas. And he's like, piranhas? And I didn't tell him. And he might still think there's piranhas in the Santa Fe. I don't know. But it will always stand out to me as one of the most frustrating days of my life. And I'm not exaggerating. This was a bad day. And I'm sure it was bad for Caleb, too. He's probably scarred because of that. Our arms were hurting. It... it, it seemed like the end was nowhere inside. It took us probably three times longer to get to our, 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 our destination than what it should have. Um, our boat was definitely unbalanced, and it was just a struggle to get there. And, and here's my point. This is what I want to talk to you about today as we close out this series. 
You can be inside the safety of the boat and still be unbalanced in your life. You can be inside the safety of the boat and still be unbalanced in your life. Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. You love Jesus. You do. You truly do. You love Jesus. He has saved you. You are going to experience eternal life because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So you love Jesus. You bring your family to church regularly. Almost every Sunday. You don't believe divorce is the answer. And so you're sticking it out. You're not happy in your marriage, but you're sticking it out because you just don't believe divorce is the answer. You work hard to provide for your family. You're doing the right thing. You don't enjoy your job, or maybe you put a high priority on your job, and you feel like if you don't put a high priority on your job, that, that you're going to let everybody down. And so you're in the boat. You're even in the right boat. But just being in the boat will not bring peace to your marriage. Just being in the boat is not going to bring peace to your home. And just being in the boat is not going to bring peace to your finances. And, and so here we are on the last day of our annual church-wide Sabbath. And the question comes to my mind, is it possible to break Sabbath and go into the normal routine of life and still have balance? Is it possible? Because, because here's what happens. I've been telling you every week, only work the necessary hours during this month. Try not to work overtime. I know for some of you, you couldn't help it, but try not to work overtime. Go home. Spend time after work with the things that matter the most, with the people that matter the most. Cultivate those relationships and I've been telling you that and some of you you've been following and it's been paying off for you We've already received reports this year already of people that that at first thought man I just can't afford to do that. You know if I can work overtime I need to work overtime if I can put more hours in the office It's going to benefit me But nevertheless they, they adhered to it and they listened to what we were saying that God can do more in your downtime Than you can do putting your hand to the plow and they listen and the reports are already coming back to us I'm telling you we have heard it already that, that people are, are selling more or they're getting bonuses and, and God is blessing them because they're trusting God during this. But now this month is over and, and I'll tell you what happens because it happens in my life. We go back into the regular routine of life and in the regular routine of life, is it possible to find balance? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. And as you turn to Luke chapter 5, let me just kind of set this up and, and let you know this is towards the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And his popularity is spreading fast. It did not take long. And when he was 30 years old and, and, and he began his ministry, it did not take long for his popularity to spread. Jesus um, was becoming a household name. Uh, people would go to work and they would talk about Jesus and his ministry and what was happening. He was becoming a very popular man. And so we start reading Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the nets so that they began to, uh, began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I want you to wrap your mind for a few moments around what's happening. As I told you, the popularity of Jesus is growing tremendously. Even at the beginning of his ministry, he is becoming a popular man. And as he is teaching this crowd, the crowd is pressing against him to hear his words. They are hanging on to every word that he is saying because there's something different about this rabbi than all other rabbis. The way that he interprets the Old Testament is different than everybody else. And so they have heard rabbis before, but they've never heard one teach quite like this one. And so they are pressing in and, and they've watched him perform miracles. So they know that there is something special about this particular rabbi. And as they're pressing in, Jesus is being pushed against the lake of Gennesaret. The, the lake is right behind him. And as he feels the crowd pushing him, he looks and there are two boats there. And he chooses one of those boats and he steps over into that boat. And then he looks at the fishermen. And he says, I want you to cast out the the point of what Jesus wanted to do is that he was going to teach from the boat, knowing that, that water naturally uh, reflects sound. And so the, 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 it would be like a natural PA system. He would begin to speak and his voice would travel across the water and, and they would be able to hear him up on the hillside. And, and he knew exactly how all of this worked. And so, you know, cast out a little bit. But, but he doesn't stop there because just because Jesus wants you to help him accomplish his purpose in life, he has a, a, a way of helping you become blessed in your life. You see, that's one of the great things about the kingdom of God that we often leave out, church. He will never allow the demand to exceed the dynamic. I will. I will require more out of you than what I'm willing to reward you for. You'll do the same to me. But with the kingdom of God, it truly is a reward system. And Jesus will never ask you to do something without rewarding you in return. It may not be immediate. It may not be right away. It may not be the way that you want to be rewarded. But he will never allow the demand to exceed the dynamic. He will always come through and bless your life supernaturally if you will listen to what he is telling you to do. And Jesus looks at these, these fishermen, particularly at Simon Peter, and he says, I want you to cast out into the deep. Let's go out into the deep. Simon knew Jesus. He knew about his ministry. Just one chapter earlier, Simon's 
mother-in-law was healed of her fever. Jesus had visited his house. He knew who Jesus was, yet when Jesus was teaching, he wasn't a part of the crowd. He just finished working. He had been fishing all night. That was his job. That was his trade. That's what he had to do. And so he's over there cleaning his nets. He believed in Jesus, but Jesus wasn't in his boat yet. And Peter, Simon Peter, was not a disciple at this moment. He wasn't even a follower. But he listens to Jesus from a distance while he is washing his nets. Now, now let me talk to you just for a minute. And I'm going to step on your toes, but that's all right. If you only show up for church when it's your day to serve, and trust me, I see some of you, I know, you're only here when it's your day to serve. Thank God for you. We can't do it without you. But if you only show up for church on your day to serve, then you are listening to Jesus from a distance while you're washing your nets. Listen, if you are in the habit of missing church, because there's more important things to do and you are catching up on the podcast and that's your routine of life, you are listening from a distance while you are washing your nets. And Jesus doesn't hate you for that. I don't want you to think that. I'm, I'm not trying to put this condemnation on you right now. But what I am telling you is that at some point in time, Jesus is going to look at you and he is going to step right over into your boat and you've got a choice on whether or not you're going to let him be in your boat. They had just finished working the night shift. These men are tired. They are exhausted. A matter of fact, the, the word toiled in the Greek means that they labored to the point of exhaustion. They labored to the point of exhaustion. Uh, any fishermen in the room, raise your hand high if you like to fish. All seven of you, thank you for being here. You know how frustrating it is when you go fishing. I don't fish a lot. I used to fish a lot when my grandfather was alive. It was our thing to do. But you know, because I've been there, you know how frustrating it is when the fish aren't biting. You've done everything. You have prepared. You've got the right bait, or at least you think you have the right bait, but the fish just aren't biting. You know what that feels like, and it is one of the most frustrating moments. And so when the Bible says that these men toiled, they, they were up all night long, and they worked to the point of exhaustion, these men are fed up. All they want to do is go home and get a bath, eat a little bit of breakfast, and just go to bed because they're going to they have to start the whole thing over later on that night because this is their business. This is what they do. And Jesus is looking at them and he's asking them to work overtime. Boy, this is a way to break Sabbath, isn't it? Jesus says, work overtime. He's Essentially telling them, start your day over. I know that your nets are clean. I know that you fished all night. I know that you're tired and you're ready to get home. But I want you to cast out in the deep and let your nets down. And I can almost hear what they're thinking. They didn't say it, but they're human just like me. And I know what I would have said. Listen, we're pros at this, Jesus. You're a preacher. A former carpenter. Why don't you just leave the fishing to us and let us handle this, and, and, and you go and do your thing. We're not telling you how to preach. Don't tell us how to fish. Simon has a choice to make at that moment. Do I let Jesus stay in the boat, which means I have to do what he says to do because he's the teacher, he's the master, he's the rabbi? Or do I politely ask him to bother someone else? Because the Bible says there's two boats there, and he got into Simon Peter's. There's another boat right there. Why don't you go get in that guy's boat? Because that's what we would do. 
Don't tell me how to do my job, pastor. Don't tell me what's good for my family. I'm a grown man. Don't tell me what I need. Don't tell me how to, how to balance my finances. Who are you to tell me what to do with my life? And who are you, Jesus, to tell me how to fish? But Peter makes the wise choice. Peter decides not only to allow Jesus into his boat, but he takes fishing advice from this former carpenter, now a preacher man, and he listens to what he has to say. And the result, as we just read, is, is that they catch a large number of fish to the point that they had so many fish in their boats, their boats began to sink. They had to call for backup. Come over here. Let us put some of these fish in your boat. Now listen to me because this is so important. There is only one difference between the first fishing attempt and the second fishing attempt. Only one difference. Jesus is in the boat. There's only one difference between where you are and where you want to be. And it's whether or not Jesus is in your boat. You can be on the right lake at the right time and still be unbalanced. You can be inside the right boat on the right lake at the right time and still be unbalanced. Luke chapter 5 was the first time that Jesus got into their boat, but it wasn't his last time. No, this became a habit because these men dropped everything. They left their nets there and they followed Jesus. And this boat becomes a stage for some of the most amazing ministry moments of his career. This boat becomes a very important place for his ministry. And unless Jesus is in your boat church, you're simply on the wrong stage. Luke chapter eight, just a few chapters over. Verses 22 through 24, it says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling, they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and re rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Church, listen to me. I can assure you that the storms of life are coming. You will never hear me get up in this pulpit and tell you that when Jesus is in your boat, you're never going to go through troubled times. Just because Jesus is in, in your boat doesn't mean that you're not going to face troubles. He told us in this life, you will have troubles. It's going to happen. Troubles are coming, but if you don't invite Jesus into your lifeboat, your life is going to be unbalanced. To get your life back into balance, you must put Jesus back at the center of your life. And here's what I'm talking about. It's every aspect of your life. You just can't choose Jesus in the boat on Sunday. You can't just invite Jesus into the boat on Sunday and say, Today, I'm going to live a little bit better of a life. You've got to invite Jesus into every aspect of your life. Jesus has to be at the center of your marriage, which means you have to learn to serve your spouse. That means you have to learn 
that love never fails, that it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it doesn't celebrate when, when someone else is hurting, no. You learn to put Jesus at the center of your marriage and you learn to serve your spouse. That means Jesus must be at the center of how you raise your kids. And man, I don't have time to get on this. I could stay right here all day, but there's some of you that if you don't figure this out, if you don't figure out how to get Jesus in the boat on how you raise your kids, you are going to wake up one day and you're going to realize that you failed as a parent because it is your responsibility. And as I have said many times before, you get one shot at raising those children. That's it. One shot. There's no do-overs for that particular child. And unless you get Jesus in the center of that boat of how you're raising your children, it's going to become unbalanced. Jesus must be at the center of your job. It means you're not dishonest. It means you're not stepping on people trying to climb the corporate ladder, but you're trusting that he is ordaining every step. Sometimes serving people on your job and they're getting promotions above you, but you, you realize that somewhere along the way, Jesus is going to bless you. It means Jesus must be at the center of your church. Is Jesus at the center of your church? Let me tell you this. If there's ever a day that comes that I don't preach Jesus, leave this church. Go find yourself another church. If Jesus is not at the center of your church and we're not leading people to Christ, then let's shut the doors and let's go do something else. Because Jesus must be at the center of every aspect of our lives. He must be at the center of everything that we do. Our life is going to become unbalanced. Matthew 6 and, 30, Matthew 6 and 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Colossians 1 and 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That means when Jesus is at the center of every aspect of your life, those things are held together. In Matthew chapter 14, we find the disciples in the boat again, but this time without Jesus. Jesus wanted to stay behind. He needed a Sabbath. He needed a little bit of a break, so he sent them on, and he stays on shore. And as they're out in that boat, man, what a great, great lesson here. They're out in that boat on the, in the middle of that lake, and the wind and the waves are crashing against the boat. Uh, I, I picture them feeling like Rocky and Caleb on the, on the Santa Fe River, and that wind is just whipping. I mean, this is a frustrating moment for them. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Jesus comes walking on the water. Walking on, it's not frozen water either, okay? He is walking on the water. And, and Simon Peter is in the boat with the wind and the waves crashing. And, and he says, bid me to come to you. If it's you, Lord, bid me to come to you. And Jesus says this simple word, come. And he gets out of the boat and he begins walking on the water. And it's amazing. And before we can ridicule him, we have to realize that besides Jesus, he is the only man in history to walk on water that is not frozen. The only one. But there's this one moment that we like to judge him by. And Simon Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and he focuses on the storm and on the waves and the wind. And when he focuses on that, the Bible says that he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out his hand, takes him by the hand, and pulls him up. And in verse 32 of Matthew 14, it says, And then they got into the boat. Together they got into the boat and the wind ceased. Why? Because Jesus was back in the boat. 
You see, it's the only way we get calm to our storms. Storms are going to happen, but it's in the moment, in the middle of that storm that you can once again say, Jesus, I invite you, come into my circumstance, come into my boat, because inside the boat without Jesus, the storm is raging and wearing you out, but inside the boat with Jesus, the the storm stops. So you decide. Do you want to invite Jesus into every aspect of your life? Because here's the thing, church. Here's what we have to understand. He's not just the Savior of your soul. Thank God that he is. But he's not just the Savior of your soul. He can also be the calm in that present storm that you're in. He can be the provider for your finances. He can be the healer to your hurt. He can be the strength in your marriage. And he can be the balance in your life. But he's got to become the center of your life where everything else revolves around him. And not your own needs, not your own wants, not your own desires. But in every decision, you say, Jesus, I'm putting you at the center of my life right now. Your will be done, not mine. Fifteen years ago, I was a youth pastor. And I'll never forget this night. I was was home from church. It was late on a Wednesday night. Hadn't been home from church, but a, just about an hour or so, and the phone rings. It's a young man that started coming to our church a couple of years before by himself. His name is Ephraim, and Ephraim didn't know his dad. Was being raised by a single mom who had extreme social disorders. They lived on the rough side of Tampa off Nebraska Avenue in a little one-bedroom efficiency. Ephraim calls me that night, and when I answered that phone, it forever changed my life because Ephraim told me, he said, Pastor Rocky, my mom's breathing funny, and she's not responding to me. After we talked for a couple of minutes, He held the phone up in a panic to let me hear her breathing, and I could hear her gurgling through the phone. I said, Ephraim, call 911 right now, and I'm on my way, but it's going to take me about 20, 25 minutes to get to you. And I hung up, and I took off to his house. I get there, and Ephraim is outside, and he's pacing paramedics are inside and they won't let us in and and he's just worried to death man he's just what is going on what's happening finally the paramedics come out I'll never forget it they didn't cover his mom they're, 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 they've got the bag and they're breathing for her but she's just laying on this gurney just no clothes on and I went over and I, I grabbed the sheet and I pulled it up to her neck And I looked at the paramedic. I said, what's happening? He says, we've revived her seven times. We've got a pulse right now. We've got to get her to the hospital. And they get her, and they they take her away. And me and Ephraim, we jump in my my, my Jeep, and we head up to the hospital. And stayed there all night with this kid, 17 years old. I'm in my mid-20s as a youth pastor. Unchartered territory, man. I'm telling you, didn't know what to do, how to do this. They told us that she was brain dead. She was on life support. So, 
I took you from home and I said, I'll pick you up in three or four hours. I drove back to the church that I was working at. And I remember I just walked in the gymnasium and two of our staff members came over to me and I just hit my knees just crying. Later on that day, on his 18th birthday, he has to make the decision to pull the plug on his mom. I tried my best. I said, Ephraim, don't do this on your 18th birthday. You'll remember this every birthday. He said, I'm going to remember this anyway. It doesn't matter. And he made the decision to take his mom off life support on his 18th birthday. Ephraim's been battling cancer for the past year. And yesterday we had his funeral at the age of 33. Sometimes because we have so much and we're so blessed, we don't really see the need for Jesus in the boat on every aspect of our lives. Ephraim didn't have much. When he met us, he didn't have much. And I have never seen a person's life quite like his because, man, every turn there was a, just a blow against him. Didn't know his dad, didn't have any other family. It was just he and his mom. Mom dies at eight, at, while he's 18 years old on his, on his birthday. Cancer. But we sat there yesterday in that funeral and there was report after report. I've been a little disconnected from him for the last few years. But everybody kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. They kept saying that Ephraim would look at them while he had cancer and he would make this statement. God is going to finish what he started. He is my healer. God did. Ephraim's better off than we are, I promise you. We've got to live through this election. <laughs> He's healed. He's in the presence of his Savior. He didn't have much in life, but let me tell you what he did have. He had Jesus in his boat. Ephraim made Jesus the center of his life, and it was very evident yesterday as they eulogized him. How does a young man like that, with such hardships, how does he smile every time you see him? because he has Jesus at the center. How does he make it past his mom dying, his only family member dying when he's 18 years old because he has Jesus at the center? How does he smile while he's going through radiation and chemo because he has Jesus at the center of it all? Life gets out of whack, it gets unbalanced. But as long as you keep Jesus at the center of every aspect of your life, you don't get to pick and choose. 
You invite him into the boat on every aspect. When you do that, life will have a way of balancing out because he balances it for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.